Today is Friday, March 26th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, episode 401, featuring Yahoo Sports writer, and of course you know him from Celtics blog, Keith Smith, powered by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag today and use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus when you sign up. What's up, everybody? Welcome on in to a post-NBA trade deadline edition of Celtics Beat coming at you twice in one week. I know. Can you handle it? It's great to be with you. I'm Adam Kaufman. Of course, we miss our producer and good friend Evan Valenti today, but not to worry. He'll be back next time around. I am pleased to welcome in Keith Smith. Of course, you know him from Yahoo Sports and Real GM and Celtics Blog, among other places. And you know, Keith, uh, this won't come as any surprise to you, but for anyone out there, and of course, you're a good friend of the program. You've been on a number of times, including here during the pandemic. But, you know, Evan and I, we were talking, at, who, who would be good for this show on the heels of the Seas acquiring Evan Fournier from the Magic and being involved in Nick Vucevic talks and Aaron Gordon talks, basically just trying to acquire Orlando. And <laughs> Who better than a guy who covers both these teams incredibly closely, especially the Celtics, but lives in Orlando than Keith Smith. So welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. I know you probably went to seven or eight guys first. They were all busy. I did not. And then, then you got to me, but that's okay. I appreciate it. I could promise you I went to no one first. You, you were the first and only person that I texted, and I'm thrilled that you are here. And, you know, let's dive into this thing because there's been, you know, Danny Ainge at this point has now spoken. He, he, chatted this morning for about 20 minutes i know you were on that conference call you obviously were monitoring what uh, magic executives were saying as well so you've heard both sides of this trade i'm sure you've written about it you have thoughts on it i will very quickly just tell you my initial overarching impression and then we can dive into all the specifics and that is this i think there is a reason for you betting fans out there why for the most part The odds on the Celtics winning a championship this year are no different today than they were at this time yesterday morning. The Celtics are not dramatically better. You want to argue they're better, they're a little bit better, they should be better, adding Evan Fournier, and of course, if if anyone's late to the party, they've added Mo Wagner, a center, they've added uh, Luke Cornett, uh, a forward, he sticks around maybe for a little bit, maybe he ends up getting waived, we'll see what's going on in the buyout market, the C's are going to talk with Andre Drummond, they are pursuing him, multiple reports have indicated that, they'll have competition, they are not in on LaMarcus Aldridge, these are things just to be aware of, but Daniel Tice this team's starting center for a long period of time, at least this year, is gone. Uh, Jeff Teague, who I, I couldn't have been more wrong about, really thought he was going to be a good fit for the Celtics. He is gone. And, of course, Javante Green is gone. And Tice, more of a and, – and Danny acknowledged this uh, in his chat earlier, but most of us theorized it. It was more of a salary cap move to get under the luxury tax than it was we want to move on from Daniel Tice, you know, an expiring contract and get something for him. So all of that being said – I just don't believe the Celtics are dramatically better right now than they were pre-trade deadline. Again, the odds certainly indicate that. You want to say that if you want to be the ultimate optimist, Keith, and say that Evan Fournier is going to be, you know, the tide that rises all ships, that all of a sudden adding a guy who gets 20 points a game, obviously lengthening out your depth, your bench, because he is not a guaranteed starter, maybe on occasion, but uh, on from the outset, I don't think he's going to start. Your uh, it, it, it gives more freedom, maybe less pressure to Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown, and maybe even allows Kemba Walker to relax a little bit. Marcus Smart isn't necessarily shooting as much. Fournier is going to get his, you know, there, I can be talked into that. And I can be talked into obviously what I've been advocating for, for I don't know how long, which is Robert Williams getting more playing time with Tice gone. Tristan Thompson's still out, but he'll come back. That is going to be barring an addition for a big, that is going to be a good situation for Robert Williams, but in the big picture, looking forward, using a good chunk of the TPE on Evan Fournier, a rental who there is no guarantee, even though Danny says, we're going to try and bring this guy back. There's no guarantee that he is coming back next year. I think the Celtics have taken a big risk. I don't know how calculated a risk, quite frankly, just in my opinion. And I don't see how you can make the argument that the Celtics are better off in the long term today than they were yesterday morning. Yeah, I I think that's all fair. I I think 
there are parts of the team that are better. Now there's things that are going to look better, but there's certainly things that are going to look worse unless uh, some guys step up. I think the defense was already a problem. You removed Daniel Tice, who, you know, by most metrics and uh, eye test is a fairly good defender. He's one of the better defensive bigs. I know Danny today said that uh, Robert Williams has been our best defensive big. I, I'm not sure I'd necessarily agree with that. And the numbers don't really always back that up. But but I think what this trade was about was upgrading at a low to no cost for a player who can come in and relieve some of the pressure on Brown and Tatum. Uh, I think especially on those nights when Kemba Walker isn't going to play, uh, like we know he's only going to play one half of the back-to-back uh, this weekend, uh, then then we'll see what that looks like going forward. They've only got a few more back-to-backs, so, uh, and then there won't be any in the playoffs, so that should resolve itself. But Fournier will take some of the pressure off that, that scoring load. He's, he's like Hayward Light. I guess is the best way to think about him as an offensive player. But I think part of what this deal was about with the Tice, uh, Green, and Teague uh, portion of it, where they go out, is almost removing some of Brad Stevens' crutches a little bit without uh, coming out and directly saying it. Sure, you needed to move somebody to get under the luxury tax, but they could have done that other ways. They Mm could have paid somebody to take on – Carson Edwards contract and take on a Shemi Ojale or even a Grant Williams. If that's the way you really wanted to go, it did not have to be Daniel Tice. I believe. And I asked Danny Angelus this morning and he said, uh, you know, that was partially motivated by not knowing if they would resign Daniel Tice as a free agent, that that factored in uh, to, to the decision to trade him. <clears throat> so what you land with is now Robert Williams gets more minutes and I'm with you. He needs to play more. You know, I, the starting thing, that part I don't really care about. You know, I think as long as he's part of part of the closing groups quite often and playing high leverage minutes, I think that matters more than necessarily starting does. But is but now he should get 25 minutes a night, you know, really without any real issues. Probably going to play a lot more than that until Tristan Thompson is back. But then Jeff Teague. Uh, Brad has leaned on Jeff Teague quite a bit this year off the bench. He goes to him when Kemba sits out of games. Now, He doesn't really have that option. It's going to have to be Peyton Pritchard who plays more minutes. So you removed kind of the Teague equation and you're going to give more minutes to Peyton Pritchard. And then Javante Green, who I like Javante Green. I love his story that he Mm -hmm. made the NBA and all those things. I love how athletic he is, but he's a pretty limited guy. He's a very much an end of the roster player. But whenever Stevens had the chance, he would play Javante Green and he'd play him over Last season, it was guys like Romeo Langford, and this year, it's a guy like Aaron Neesmith. So I think now, Javante Green's out of the picture. Shemi Ojale is hurt. We, we don't know how badly and how long he'll be out for, but now some of those crutches are gone. They're going to have to lean into playing these younger kids and develop, and I think what they're going to try to do the rest of this year is Fournier was the keep us competitive move. But now the other move is let's see what we got in the kids over the next few months and see what that looks like. And then also let's see what they do if they do anything on the bio market. Like you said, they're engaged in Andre Drummond. They'll they'll probably be linked to, you know, three or four guys by the time all is said and done. And Danny was very, uh, you know, uh, I guess even keeled on it saying it's hard to know if anything will get done there. Uh, and that's kind of always the case because buyout guys uh, prioritize two things. It's role and chance to win. Uh, mm. The role will be here at Boston. The chance to win, eh, I'm not so sure about that. So something you just said that I really hadn't thought about, and if if I were a hot take artist, which I am not, you know, I, I would connect the dots to what you just said and say, is there friction between Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens? You know, Danny saying, look, you know, the, the roster's on me. I built this thing and, and I don't like it, so I'm going to change it. But I also don't like the way that you're running what I gave you. I, I don't like the way that, that you're assembling this thing. And so, you know, you put it politely, I, I'm going to get rid of Brad's crutches, but is Danny in his own way forcing Brad to develop some of these guys that aren't playing as much the Williams and obviously Pritchard, like you talked about, but not just that, you know, basically, you know, it's, it's a way to, I don't know, by maneuvering things differently, it's, it's a way to sort of manufacture alternate rotations as well Mm -hmm. and play certain guys with other guys that we just haven't really seen this year. Did you ever see the, uh, the movie version of Moneyball? 
course. Um, so it's a little bit like when they, they trade Carlos Pena and then they trade Jeremy Giambi and he starts trading all these people and he leaves Art Howe with no choice but to yeah. play you know, all of the guys he wants in the lineup. Yeah, but there was plenty of friction between those two. <laughs> plenty of friction there. I, I don't think it's quite quite to that level, but but I think it is a, a rebalancing of this because – there's going to be a moment when, when Mo Wagner comes in and plays, if Luke Cornett sticks, he'll play, or or if they replace him with a buyout guy, that guy will play. Um, but those guys probably are not going to play, play a lot. So I think this, what this did is it is Brad Stevens turns his head and looks down the bench. It's going to be, all right, I need somebody. It's got to be Neesmith. It's got to be Langford. All right. Kemba's out or uh, in foul trouble or something like that. It's got to be Peyton Pritchard. There are no longer those guys that he can go to. And I, and I don't know if that was a, um, uh, I don't want to say there's friction because Brad will tell you, and he has been very on the record about this since, since he got into Boston, he doesn't do tanking. He didn't go there to lose games mm-hmm. and to not win. Um, so he's going to pick the guys he thinks are the best options to win games. And, you know, I, I kind of look at it as, all right, but what's winning another four or five games going to really do and change this season where, you know, four or five minutes of 25 minutes a night when there's no uh, no practices, no G League, but who knows what summer league will look like for these guys who are in their first and second year, that could make a pretty big difference. And I think that was probably a, you know, a partial motivator in this was uh, let's rebalance this a little bit. Let's make sure guys we would like to see play a little bit more are going to get those opportunities. But I, I don't, I wouldn't go as far as saying it's a uh, Billy Bean and Art Howe. I, I don't think, uh, I don't think Brad is uh, threatening to quit and saying he can't coach this team. No, he could have gone to Indiana. I guess he technically. <laughs> exactly. But uh, so to that end then Keith, I mean, why, like why bother with Evan Fournier? And I, I want to talk more about Fournier in, in a little bit. So I don't want to go overly specific about him. It, it's more about why bother even, you know, yeah, you, you get rid of Teague, you get rid of a couple of second round picks, who cares, but to even bring in a guy that instantly, you know, becomes part of your top seven. Again, he's a 20 point per game guy this year. He's a, he's a good rotational player, but on at least right now, an expiring contract and using the TPE on that and severely handcuffing yourself in terms of your options this coming off season, unless somehow they could find a way to unload Kemba Walker, which I'm I'm sure Danny has been spending the, probably the better part of a year trying to do and, and get rid of that deal and get whatever you can for it just to give them some financial flexibility. But Danny talking earlier today about, you know, just basically being partially motivated by, by giving some assurances to the room, to the coaches, to the players, sensing that internal discomfort or frustration or, or however it is exactly that he labeled it. Why bother doing it? Why, why bother setting yourself up for further limitations that you did not have come this offseason just to make everybody feel a little bit better when it does not lift you to a place where you even are close to contending? Because I would argue that, you know, prior to these moves or even with these moves, like the the Celtics are, you know, they have the talent of, let's say, a three or four seed, but they've been playing with the heart and intensity of a 12 or 13, which is why they're sitting right around, you know, eighth and, and clinging for their playoff lives. You can flip a switch. You can get back to where you should be and and just, you know, j- just by having a, a little bit more on the old give a bleep meter, but it's still not going to make you a contender in the Eastern Conference. So why bother doing that just to make everybody internally feel a little bit better? Yeah, I'm going to give a few reasons why I think they, they pulled the trigger on this. One is it's it's kind of like what you said. You can flip a switch. They're also they're, – they're two and a half games out of having home court advantage, or I think a game and a half out, two games out in the loss column. Uh, the, the East, after the top three teams, it's just not very good. So if the Celtics can finally figure this thing out and go, um, you know, get things moving forward, they, they can make up that ground. You know, in this, we, we could have a conversation about three or four days from now where they're back in fourth place mm-hmm. and we're feeling a little bit better about things. I think they're, the other motivating factor is in this weird season where nobody has a real good hand, handle, if, if I asked you, you know, how much, you know, you, you have a million dollars to bet on one team to win it all, or you have to give me, you know, $10 million. You're probably going to say, I'm not, 
I, no, I'm not going to you know, risk that, right? Because right. I don't think there's that overwhelming favorite this year. And I, I, I kind of keep going back to there's no Golden State Warriors looming over this season where it is, they're inevitable. How are we going to beat them? It's, yep. you know, everything has to go right. So I think every team owes it to themselves that's at least close to being the best version that they can be. And I think that's what we saw over the last, let's call it a week or, or so here at the trade deadline. You saw a lot of teams making moves to put themselves in the best position. Because if you're Boston, and let's say you do play well and you get to the four seed and you get through the first round, and now you're playing Philly in the second round, but Joel Embiid gets hurt again, you're going to feel pretty bad if you did nothing to upgrade and give yourself a chance to win that series and get to the finals. The The other piece is I think that there is a part of it of – as you kind of said, the the uh, Danny and Danny Ainge said this too. The idea of let's lift everybody up a, mm-hmm. a little bit because it, 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 he said he sensed discouragement. I think was the way he put that around the team, and I think that's fair. I, I think that there are. Um, there was just something off, right? And just by bringing new blood in, oftentimes that can really help and help guys feel a little bit differently. And then the last thing I'll say on this, well, two things. One, and I'll just repeat this, is you really got Fournier at the cost of not much because I know you used a good chunk of the TPE, but there was never a guarantee you were going to be able to use much more of it uh, at any point anyway. This team was likely to be um, a luxury tax team next summer, no matter what, um, because of Tatum's extension kicking in. And then they were likely to be in a position where maybe the hard cap was an issue again, where if you did a sign and trade or any of those things, it was going to become a problem. So so you weren't going to use that. And then the last piece that I'll go to, and I think this is the most important part of this whole thing is, I think you have to continually send messages to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown we are not content to just say, well, it is what it is this year. You know, you have to send messages of we're trying to win. They didn't do that in a way where they went and took on Kevin Love and $30 million for the next three seasons or anything mm-hmm. crazy like that. It was fairly low cost. They retained a good chunk of flexibility um, by doing what they did now. And I think that's important because what we see is once those guys sign that second contract, Power starts to shift in their direction and away from the team. And we've seen, you know, the NBA is littered with examples of guys who, when they get into year two and year three of that second contract, Mm -hmm. if the team's not showing that they want to win, they start saying, I already got the money. I'm going to get that no matter what. I want to be somewhere I can win. And the last thing you want to do with your two young uh, star building blocks is give them any desire to say, all right, we're probably not, you know, we're, we're not trying overly hard. I know people are making the exit. Well, you know, is Evan Fournier really sending that message? Well, it's sending the message that we're not giving up on the season. And we're not giving up on you guys. And that's important in a, in a year where it's clear they've taken over the mantle as the team leaders. Adam Himmelsbach of the Boston Globe, also a friend of this program, wrote earlier today, according to league sources, in addition to their well-documented courtship of Aaron Gordon, the Celtics were finalists for Magic All-Star Center Nick Vucevic, including multiple first-round picks as part of that package. Orlando ultimately sent Vucevic to the Bulls in exchange for Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter Jr., and two first-round picks. Celts also offered a first-round pick and a young player to Orlando in exchange for Gordon, sources said. And they were prepared to add that, uh, add to the haul, but the Magic accepted Denver's offer, which included Gary Harris Jr., R.J. Hampton, and a first-round pick before Boston had a chance. And uh, Himmelsbach with the article, it was quote-tweeted by uh, this guy, Keith Smith, perhaps you've <laughs> heard of him, who wrote, sources out of Orlando told me Boston's offer was competitive, but they didn't have uh, anyone the level of Wendell Carter as a young asset to beat Chicago's offer. So, Acknowledging all of that, and feel free to expand on all of it, obviously, but Fournier, Gordon, Vooch. I joked earlier the Seas were just trying to acquire Orlando. They got one guy. There were you know, always rumors for two, and we know that they were interested in Vooch. But did they get the right guy, or did they settle for Fournier ultimately? Um, did, let's take the Vooch part out of the mix a little bit because they just they, they weren't going to get him. Um, they, they, they basically – did everything that they could to get him. They just don't have the, they did not have Wendell Carter. And that, that was how uh, a magic team official left it with me was we, 
they, they just did not have a young player anywhere near the level of Wendell Carter on their roster that they were willing to trade. You know, and, and this is where people were, well, what about Robert Williams? He doesn't have that same kind of value around the league like like a guy like Wendell Carter does. You know, we, we built him up a little bit more because he's ours, and that's the, you know, the, the thing we get to. Uh, but but he's just not not that guy. Um, so you take that part out. They they were they were competitive. Uh, the Magic said that, which to me says you know they they matched the picks part of it. They were willing to go with whatever probably young guys the Magic wanted. I'm guessing that was probably Robert Williams, maybe one of the other younger players. And the Magic just that wasn't the direction that they wanted to move it. So now to me that really leaves it down to could you have gotten Aaron Gordon instead of Evan Fournier? Well, with Aaron Gordon, my sense that I'm reading out of Orlando was. It was a similar type situation where the Magic liked R.J. Hampton better than they like Aaron Neesmith or Romeo Langford. I was also told because the pick they got for Aaron Gordon is later from Denver, it's actually in a post-Jokic year, that had more value to them than a uh, pick that would convey sooner from mm. the from the Celtics. Because you get somebody like Aaron Gordon, even if this year doesn't go the way you're hoping, you're probably going to be in pretty good shape in the next couple of years. That's a, that's going to be a pick in the twenties. If Nikola Jokic decides in a few years, eh, I want to try it, try it out somewhere else. The nuggets could be all of a sudden looking at a team that looks very, very different from what they look now. Sure. So, so that, that was part of it. Now Boston could have said, fine, we'll give you a pick in 2027. If you want, who knows, you know, will there even be an NBA then, you know, but it's, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> will there be a world then? Right. Um, but it, it, so one of the things that they, they didn't have though was it's not that RJ Hampton has been amazing as a rookie, but he's been better than Aaron Neesmith. He's, much less of a mystery box than Romeo Langford, who quite frankly, I mean, did, I think we might all have that collective uh, memory, you know, uh, malfunction of uh, Mandela effect on Romeo Langford. I don't know that he actually is real. Uh, I think we maybe just all remember that, that him being there, but he never was. Um, so that was the challenge. It was, I, I think to some extent they settled because you probably could have got Orlando over the top. If you said, all right, we'll do, two first round picks and no protections and we'll do Neesmith and Langford. And you, there's other constructions you probably could have got to, to get them to buy. But then you start to look at it and be like, right, did, did you overpay, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit there. So it's, it's, it's settling for Fournier in a sense, but I think it's also making a deal that was not a bad deal versus to go get Gordon. It was probably going to turn into a bad deal. And I don't think the Vucevic thing, they, they just, once Chicago got involved, I, they just didn't have the legs to push that over the top. So between the two, and I've been pretty vocal about this on Twitter, I actually, I, I'm not a big Aaron Gordon guy. I, I like Fournier better than I do like Gordon as a player. You know, between the two, I think they acquired the right guy. But there is that giant elephant in the room, at, you know, that, that looming question of what happens come the summer. Because no matter what you want to believe Boston's ceiling is this year, I'm sorry. It's, I, I, I would love to be wrong, and everybody, <laughs> please come at me if I am. They are not championship contenders, the C's, this season. They're just not even adding Fournier. I mean, everything the rest of the way would have to go right, and then some. Like, he needs probably some injuries on the other side. Mm-hmm. So looking ahead... It's the question of, is he going to leave? Is he going to stay? And if he does stay, what are you going to have to pay him? You know, Fournier is coming off a five-year, $85 million deal. Celtics, you know, you already touched on, it's a luxury tax team, obviously, going forward. You know, I know they got, they made these moves to get under the tax now in terms of getting rid of Tice, but they're they're going to find themselves thrust right back in it, you know, come the offseason. Is this, do you believe ultimately that the way this is shaping up that, Fournier is going to be back and then we could further justify this deal or are we going to be looking back and saying this was a disastrous way to use the TPE because Fournier ultimately did leave or just for funsies I'll give you option three which is kicking the can down the line meaning there's a sign and trade and Fournier nets you another giant TPE and we're just doing this all over again next you know for the next year. Yeah, that last one I, I kind of don't want to have happen because I don't want to just have this same conversation for another whole year. Um, I also don't, I mean, on the flip side, I could just recycle the Gordon Hayward content that I wrote and just <laughs> yeah, change names and TPE <laughs> values and expiration dates and move and on. lots so. of traffic too. You get all sorts of <laughs> <Right>? hits. <laughs> we, we, we could just do that and make it really easy. Change a couple pictures in the article and off we go. Easy. Um, 
But yeah, I, I think so. Here, here's the challenge, and I'm gonna throw throw some numbers at you to put some numbers behind it. Please. The Celtics have 11 players under contract for next season right now. Um, what what I think people are forgetting, um, in, in some sense here, is that Jason Tatum's contract extension starts next year, mm-hmm. so he goes from 9.9 million to 28.1 million, and that's if he doesn't make All NBA. If he makes All NBA, it's going to be even more. Um, right now with the way the team's playing, I'm not so sure uh, all NBA is going to be there. Jalen Brown's number is going to go up a little bit because he's earned some of his bonuses by making the all-star team. Uh, Kemba Walker's still there at $36 million. So just with the 11 players under contract and the dead money that they're still carrying for Demetrius Jackson and Gershon Yabasele, <laughs> the Celtics are at $132.3 million um, towards the, towards the uh, salary. That is about $4 million under the the projected luxury tax line. That's before you talk about the draft pick that they're going to have, before you talk about re-signing anybody. So that gets really hard to not be a tax team unless you start talking about, all right, we're moving Marcus Smart for no money back. We're moving off of Kemba Walker in a trade, which I think we're in agreement. Danny's going to do probably his due diligence to see what could I do with Kemba's deal. Um, right now, all sense I have is um, they didn't even talk it at the trade deadline because the Celtics know it it's probably takes two first-round picks to get off mm-hmm. Kemba's deal. You're going to have to pay a team um, to yeah. do that because it's just a negative contract. He's yeah, at 73. stronger. Yeah, exactly. You, you, what you need him to do and is people will argue, well, we got to keep him. Look exactly. How good <laughs> yeah. That's where it kind of becomes that, you know, uh, rock in a hard place, right? It, yeah. It's, um, you know, it gets to be like, uh, you know, where are we going? So to me, what you have to do with this Fournier deal, you had to have some level of commitment from ownership to say, Hey, we're in the tax next year. Are we okay? Really being in the tax, you know, being, you know, 10 million into the tax. If we are, then you feel better about making the Fournier deal and going because you're absolutely right. You normally can justify trading for an expiring contract one of two ways. Either it helps our books long term, that didn't do this for Boston, it didn't really change any of the math, or this guy puts us over the top for a title run this year. Mm-hmm. that's not the case. I agree with you. I have a, I have a hard time believing anybody, but the most ardent Celtics, you know, Homer uh, believes that. So what you have to do then is in this situation, you have to have some level of belief that, that uh, Wick Grossbeck and the ownership group is going to give Danny the green light to go into the luxury tax to retain Fournier. Or like you said, I mean, you could get into the trade him away and, you know, create another sign and trade or that. But I think Danny probably read the market a little bit here and said, this guy opted into his contract last year when he could have been a free agent and maybe gotten some money. He also only went for two second round picks. What is the real market going to be? And you might be able to bring Evan Fournier back on a deal. He's going to be 29 at the start of next season. So he's starting Mm -hmm. to get a little older. You could maybe get him back on a three-year deal. That's, you know, maybe starts at 13 or $14 million a year. And instead of being the $17 million a year player, um, you're, you're not, now you're in a better position because then you start to be in a spot where, all right, now we make one or two more moves. We really lower the tax bill. We could maybe even get out of it and rebalance things. So my guess is that's that's what he's doing. He's trying to kind of thread the needle a little bit here of, all right, I can improve the team right now, give us a little bit more hope going forward this season, and then we, we, we'll see you know, where it all lands out uh, in the summer, and we feel pretty good that we can retain him because he talked an awful lot about that today, mm-hmm. um, he, even at times when he wasn't even prompted to talk about it. He mentioned it himself. So to me, that says that has to be some consideration on the table. One last thing on it um, is Fournier is also extension eligible. So they could come to an agreement right now today if they wanted to and give him him an extension and really know what it's setting up and looking like going into the off season. What's your belief that that happens as opposed to this, you know, obviously dragging out and ultimately reaching free agency, regardless of which way it goes at that point. Yeah, probably fairly minimal. Um, I, I don't think, think for the Celtics, for it to make sense to do an extension, it would have to be pretty team friendly for them. And I don't think for Fournier, that makes a lot of sense. You would, even if you, if his agent is being very honest with him and is saying, this might be where we land anyway, you could still look at it as, but hey, if you have a hell of a playoff run, if, mm-hmm. and even if the team doesn't go very far, but you look great, 
now all of a sudden you're a lot more attractive um, there. He's going to have more eyes on him now than he's ever had on him in his career. And there's going to be a sense of, all right, he's playing in bigger games uh, with the Celtics, even in this messy season than he's ever played in Orlando. So maybe, you know, that, that he can, you know, prove to some people, I can be this guy. So I think you'd rather take the shot at that upside, knowing whatever you could get an extension, that's probably there for you this summer anyway from the Celtics, if that's the direction they want to go. And then you also have to factor in, you know, what if he gets to Boston and he hates it? He's absolutely miserable, and it's, you know, now I'm the, you know, fourth guy in the pecking order at best, but really probably more like fifth, sixth, or seventh. You know, is this what I want to do? You know, as I'm kind of entering the uh, prime years, maybe even post-prime years mm-hmm. of my career, that that has to be factored in. So I, I don't think that's very likely, but, but it, you know, it's one of those things you, you don't want to take off the table because it is a, you know, it is an actual possibility. There's obviously a segment of Celtics fans and it's, it's a, I don't know if it's the vocal minority or if it really is a large segment of Celtics fans that first believed, you know, for Danny got nothing for Gordon Hayward, you know, <laughs> in, in the TP, like you, you got nothing. Well, all right. Now they've gotten something for Gordon Hayward and that could turn into nothing. If Fournier, like we just outlined, leaves in free agency and it's not a TP creation situation, a sign and trade and you get, you know, nothing in return. He truly, he just walks, he goes and signs somewhere else's, Obviously, you know, Hayward could have done with with Charlotte. You know, people still lament not doing the deal with the Pacers if that deal was ever actually really on the table, which I don't think anybody truly has has definitively reported because ultimately Hayward, you know, got way more money from Charlotte. If you wanted mm-hmm. the money over the destination, then didn't matter what the Pacers were willing to give the Celtics in terms of you know, trade capital that they weren't going to pay Hayward. So it, it wasn't the same thing, but there are still people that, that lament not landing miles Turner and, you know, Dougie McBuckets, Doug McDermott, and, and just, you know, drowning on and on about that over the course of this entire season. And that was never a move I wanted to make. I'm good with the Celtics not wanting to make that, but does this become a disaster? If 17 of that 28 and a half million dollars gets used on Evan Fournier ahead of when it needed to be used. I mean, you had the off season, no guarantees, obviously, but you had mm-hmm. the off season. If it gets used now as it did, and then he leaves and you get nothing and you obviously don't even remotely go for a title run right now. Yeah. And but before I answer that, one other thing I want to say too, because I think this is getting missed by a lot of people because everybody's just assuming, all right, well, if they're in the tax, they can only be barely in it. Some teams every once in a while say, well, once we're there, you might as well, you know, pay it especially yeah. if it's something you think might only be a one-year thing they still have 11 million dollars the hayward tp left so Correct. there's still moves to be made there that could really help help this team fill out their roster right not right now um that that window is now closed until the summertime um but yeah could it be a disaster absolutely let's say 48 stinks and looks terrible and the team you know kind of continues to be this right around 500 team and they're out in the first round or you know or worse then then that that's not good. Um, if Fournier leaves for nothing, that's not good. Um, if you can't talk a team in the, like you said, kick the can down the road, create another TPE, that's not very good. If then if the 11 million just that expires and you don't use it on anybody, yeah, there's a lot of disaster potential here. There's a lot more disaster potential with the Celtics now than I think there ever has been since the time uh, Danny Ainge pulled the trigger on the Nets trade. I think if you go all the way back to there, when they made that Nets trade, there was a sense for at least the next few years, and they got better quicker than anybody ever could have expected. There was a sense of, well, this it's just this is what it is until we see how these picks come out. Then it became like, now we're just playing with house money, right? We're we're already good. We got all these picks. Then Tatum and Brown started to blossom. And then, you know, it yeah, even last year, if we go back to a year ago, they were, right as the season was shutting down, I was like, man, you know, this team's not bad. They're, they're, they're all right. They're making a run with Kemba and they, they look okay. And, you know, they, they look pretty good and all those kind of things. And it was now a, a year later where it's in there kind of saying, man, did they, did they miss their window on not making a finals at any point in those runs, especially last year? It feels like maybe the biggest uh, miss of all, but 
yeah, the disaster potential is absolutely there because you, you know, if you, if you want to go, you know, super negative and dark, you could see it where, right, this doesn't work out with Fournier and the TPE was a whole mess. And now Kemba can't ever play a back to back again. And Tatum and Brown, next thing you know, they're starting to, you'll make whispers of, you know, Tatum and Beal are looking at and saying, let's go team up at destination X somewhere and you will go there. And, you know, Brown wants to go, you know, back to Georgia or wants to go back to the West coast. And, and yeah, I mean, you can spin all sorts of things. I, 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 I don't want to go there because that starts to get into yeah. fantasy land. <laughs> well, and it just gets into fantasy land on the yeah. opposite side of the people who are like, right. well, what if they sign Andre yeah. Drummond and he comes in and he's great. And, you know, now all of a sudden we're in the finals this year. And it's like, I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, I prefer to stay a little bit more grounded, in reality, but yeah, it is, um, it, it, there is disaster potential for sure. We'll get back to Keith in one moment. I want to tell you this show brought to you by bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but, uh, the NBA college basketball, NHL, all in full swing and NBA title odds. Well, let's give them to you. The nets. Yeah. The Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, James Harden led nets plus two forty to hoist Larry O'Brien's trophy. Come the summertime, the Lakers, the defending champs, plus 325. Some injuries to work out there. LeBron and AD sideline right now. The Clippers at plus 575. Who says coaching is everything? A new head coach there getting the job done. The Jazz, who I just have no faith in making a championship run, but awfully damn good here in the regular season, plus 750. And if you do believe, as Keith was talking about, that everything the Celtics have done and the potential of adding Andre Drummond is going to take them to a level like we can't even believe, well, plus 4,000 odds if you'd like to lay that coin, try and uh, bet on this team to win a championship. Now, the big dance, that, of course, is here as well. And Bet Online is the place for you to make a killing during this year's NCAA tournament. Live odds for every single game. So many ways to win. Gonzaga looking for that undefeated season plus 140. Baylor at plus 375. Houston plus 900. Michigan plus 1,000. Mo Wagner School, if you didn't know that. Alabama at plus 1,000. Loyola, Chicago. And how dare you not entrust your faith in Sister Jean? Plus 1,600. And Syracuse, my beloved Orange although they were the orange men when I was there, plus 5,000. They are in the Sweet 16 as the Elite Eight next. Also, there are fun props for the tournament, like my guy Buddy Bayheim over under 18.5 points against Houston, or will Cam Crutwig be compared to Super Troopers Farva during the broadcast? Yeah, this is stuff that you can actually wager on. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way and the best place to place your bets. It's free to sign up. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Again, the promo code is CLNS50. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So as we chat here with Keith Smith, let's. Uh, we, we spent a half hour, you know, talking about just the deadline itself, what they did, what they could have done, what they didn't do. You know, we'll get to Andre Drummond, obviously, in the buyout market. We haven't even really talked about Wagner or Cornette. We can do that. But we also really haven't talked about Evan Fournier, the player, how he does help this team. You watched him very, very closely in Orlando for a number of years. Here he is now in Boston. People see the numbers, 20 points per game. He's having a career year. He's shooting great. Some call him a sharpshooter. I don't know that I would go that far. He had a a heck of a farewell with the Magic, a game-winning bucket. You know, unfortunately, Daniel Tice went out exactly the opposite way, (laughs) missing a game-winning shot. Not that he's typically thrust into those situations, but... uh, Fournier, he he lengthens the bench. He's no guaranteed starter or closer for that matter. You know, we don't know exactly how he is going to fit in other than providing you offensive depth that you have so sorely lacked and needed. I'm, I'm curious to know how much he helps on the defensive end because, as we know, that has been a real problem. It's something Danny spoke about earlier today. Tell us everything we need to know in a uh, reasonable amount of time that about Evan Fournier and what his fit is with this club. Yeah, he, it, it's he's. I think people are gonna like his game when they see him. I said earlier he's kind of like Hayward Light, and that that feels pretty accurate. It is as long as you say Hayward Light, but healthy. Uh, yeah, that that is true. Much healthier than than Hayward. Uh, he's had some back problems this year, but it's it's it, it that starts to be one of those things when you when any whenever anybody is out with back spasms for a long time on a not good team, I start to wonder 
is that what's really happening here? Um, you know, or are we just right. you know, being extra cautious? So sure. yeah, Hayward light, but healthy. That's a good way to put it. Well, what I will say with um, Fournier is Danny Ainge talked about a, a month ago. I think it was when he said, if we're going to do anything. It's shooting with size is what we're looking at. I had a few people who were hit me up in my mentions that clearly I don't think know Evan Fournier very well, who were like, yeah, but this guy's like six foot three. He's a legit six foot seven. Um, he's probably actually taller than Jalen Brown, um, you know, at this point. Now, it's him, Brown, and Tatum, that they're all wings. You know, they're, they're all fairly interchangeable as far as, you know, the way you're going to use them and positionally in Brad Stevens' scheme and the like. So what Fournier brings is he's a good shooter. He's a good shooter off the dribble. He's a good shooter as a spot-up player. He's going to see probably more spot-up opportunities than he has at any point in his career. I think he, you know, probably at this point becomes maybe the best spot-up shooter on the roster um, that that they have, which I think is going to be really big because I do think some of the times all we, we bemoan the lack of ball movement. I think sometimes when it's Tatum or Brown and they've thrown it out off a driving kick, you know, for the fifth time in a game to watch a jumper clank off the rim, did they, they just stop because why, you know, we'll, we'll, it's just, I might as well take a you know bad shot that at least has a chance. So he's going to give you that. He can create off the dribble, um, which is good because he can create off the dribble with his size, which I think is important because the Celtics didn't really have a guy like that in their reserve group. Um, I don't know if Fournier will start or not. My, my guess is, at least initially he will not, but maybe eventually they put him in the starting five and go back to smart playing that, you know, kind of sixth starter role um, where he still plays starters minutes and he's in there at the end. Um, but either way, Fournier is going to give this team, you know, a big upgrade offensively. He's a pretty good passer too. Um, he's not someone who's going to be throwing the ball and he's going to break you down and go get a triple double or anything like that. But much like Gordon Hayward, he knows the right place to make. He can get him the ball on the move. He can find that next pass to, to find the shot and those kind of things. Defensively, it's not great, but he's been asked to defend the opponent's best wing quite a bit in Orlando or the opponent's best ball handler quite a bit because a lot of his early career uh, with the Magic was played alongside guys like Jameer Nelson and DJ Augustin. Um, so that was, you know, ne- never really easy for him. Um, then, it, then it became Markel Fultz came in, but Fultz was always kind of in and out of the the lineup there, and they, they, you know, whether he starts or came off the bench and those kind of things. So thrust into that role, he doesn't look very good because that's not what he is. He, he's not, you know, that kind of defender. But I think if you could put him on your opponent's fourth or fifth best guy that's on the floor at a time, you're, you're all right. He knows you know what to do in a team scheme. He knows how to, you know, cover. He, he'll be fine switchable because you, you can, uh, you're not going to you know really easily post him up. But yeah. You're not going to put him on uh, LeBron James at the end of the game and say, go get us a stop. That's not going to be, but Boston has the guys that they could, you know, uh, presumably do that with, they haven't done it at all this year. So I don't think there's any way he makes the defense worse because it's already really bad. So I think the I think the upgrade he'll give the offense more than offsets anyway he downgrades the defense. Are there too many we often joke like God forbid the Celtics have anybody on the team who's taller than six foot eight, but are there <laughs> redundancies, too many redundancies between Tatum and Brown and now Fournier? Like there are people Sean Devney said it, I don't know how many times on this show, and I never agreed with it, but he always believed it. And Kevin Garnett has even acknowledged this once or twice in the past that, you know, like Gordon Hayward having him on the team was redundant and and almost counterproductive to Tatum and Brown. Now, I never believed that. I think the Celtics were seeing this year exactly how much they miss a Gordon Hayward. But when you bring in, like you said, a Hayward light, but healthy, meaning he's actually going to be out there and and give you hopefully uh, not, he's not going to score 20 a game on this team. Maybe it's more like 15 or something Mm -hmm. like that. But is, does he get in the way more than he helps? You know, even though obviously Danny just went out and acquired him. You don't think so. And I also think that you don't have any of the hierarchy issues with Fournier. I think he comes in knowing I'm behind Tatum, I'm behind Brown, I'm behind Walker in the pecking order. This is where I slot in versus Hayward. I think, and I'm, and this isn't a criticism of him, but it's going to come off that way. That was always a hard mindset shift. I think for him at times of 
man, there's these plays where I'm just hanging out in the corner and I'm the fourth option out here. And, you know, I came to this team to be, you know, ostensibly when he agreed to sign the number one option, mm-hmm. right? That that was what he was going to do because then they went and got Kyrie after the fact. Right. And then they both got hurt and then Brown and Tatum started to ascend up the ranks. So I think for, for Hayward, that was always a tougher adjustment. I think Fournier will be okay. He, even on um, Orlando teams, he was all right, kind of playing second fiddle at times to Gordon, to Vucevic, to, to those kind of players, um, and really kind of understanding this is what it is. So I, I don't think you're going to have those kind of issues. I, I think that the little bit of the challenge now with not having Daniel Tice, and I know everyone loves the two big lineups. I mean, that's all I ever hear is love for how great they are and all that. It's right. It's the exact opposite. Who loves um, that? <laughs> yeah, awful. nobody. But now you don't really have the ability to do it at all because you can't play Robert Williams and Tristan Thompson together. Right. Uh, Tice, you could at least get away with because he's switchable on defense and he can step out and hit jump shots. Uh, last shot he took as a Celtic notwithstanding. Um, so it really becomes an issue of now you've lost a little bit of that versatility. So it's really going to be one big and a bunch of smalls. And if you're going to play a bunch of smalls around one big, those smalls better be smalls with that aren't Kemba Walker size smalls. And you better have a whole lot of them to give yourself different kinds of options. And I think that's what the Celtics have done. One thing I don't think you can do with this group, if you remember, um, he didn't go to it a lot, but the the so-called best five lineup mm-hmm. of Tatum, Brown, Walker, Smart, and Hayward, I don't think you can go to to a, to that with Fournier in place of Hayward because he's Hayward for all of the things – you know, people maybe didn't like about Hayward. He was always a pretty strong defender and could hold off bigs um, because he had some bulk to him. Fournier is not really that guy. So I don't think you'll ever see anything like that unless it's, you know, an extreme scramble catch up situation. Uh, maybe you could close offensively like that, you know, for a possession or two, but it's uh, yeah, it's, it's, you've lost a little bit of your front court versatility, but, but I think where the league's going, I don't know how much, you know, that, that helps you anyway. There's maybe, you know, four or five teams that you need that against. One of them they're going to see, you know, again here uh, in the box where you, you would like to have another guy to throw a Giannis. But, you know, you, you, if you're the Celtics, you can't, you can't feel so strongly about where you're going this year that you're looking ahead to any one opponent that you have to be. You just had to get better, you know, in a way that makes sense for you. And I think this did. Let's spend uh, a couple minutes on the other new guys who, who knows if they're even going to stick around or if they're ultimately going to get waived. It, you know, it sort of depends on what ultimately the Celtics can free up elsewhere. If, if an auto porter becomes available, or obviously if Andre Drummond decides to come to Boston, we can talk about those guys too, but first on Mo Wagner and Luke Cornett and uh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of funny just the way things play out. I had tweeted yesterday when, Wagner was part of the deal going from Washington to Chicago. I said, oh, I like Mo Wagner a, a lot, I, and I do. I liked him at Michigan. I've liked him, you know, in the NBA. I'm I'm not going to say, one, that I like him more than Daniel Tice. Obviously, I don't. And two, it is clear he is underachieved to this point in his career. He has not been a reliably good player. I think he's had flashes. He's had moments. Uh, I think there there is potential there, and he is a young guy who's only been around for a few years. Um, you know, I, I think he could actually fit in and and have a – a role, not to say he is a regular part of the rotation or even part of the playoff rotation when that rolls around. But right now, I think he can fill a role. I, I like if if you got to give up Daniel Tice, you know, I I certainly like Wagner better than I like Cornette. And, you know, people calling Cornette like this, like poor man's, you know, big shot Bob. Like Someone compared <laughs> him to Robert Ory and look at how well he can shoot and all that. But what do you think of these two guys and what their fit is? That's a that, that's like when he had his run with, on those bad Knicks teams, and they were right. calling him the Unicornet. Exactly. Um, you know, that's 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 fun, but let's let's not get crazy here. Yeah, uh, yeah Cornet, I would be surprised if he plays meaningful minutes, and if he is, it's things things aren't probably going well uh, for <laughs> for the Celtics. Um, I think he's the more likely of the two to be bought out. I think there's just much more of a sense of we we kind of know what he is at this point. He's a big who who's got some range, and if he's on, 
you you can get something out of him. If he's not, you're not going to get much out of him at all. Um, and that that's you know where that's at. I, it's it was interesting to me. You know, everybody assumes he's a being bought out. Uh, Danny Ainge made it clear uh, today. I felt like is we'll do something if there's something to do in the buyout market. So I don't think they're just going to buy out Cornette just to have the open roster spot. I think they're going to have to have something in hand from a player, and that's the sense I've been given from a team sources. Yeah, we're just going to keep these guys until we know we need a roster spot. And I think that's the right way to handle it, right? They, they've had so many injuries this year, especially up front. You don't want to be caught short. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's the it's, Cornette's not great, but he's probably better than trying to get through, you know, chunks of games with, you know, uh, Carson Edwards playing, you know, the major minutes because you're having to go insanely small. Mm-hmm. or anything like that. I mean, he's probably quite frankly, honestly, better than taco might be at this point, you know, but, but that's, you know, not neither here nor there. We'll, we'll see what that looks like. Um, but so, yeah, so Wagner is the guy who's a lot more interesting to me. Um, I, I think he has the potential because he's shown some ability to be a stretch five. He's not a good defender, but he'll, he'll get in there and mix it up. He, he's not afraid to bang bodies. He's, he's not afraid to, you know, uh, you know, get in there and, you know, tangle with guys and those kind of things. And that's important. I compared him today to, I can envision him being like a version of Jonas Drebko. Mm-hmm. You know, every, everybody kind of really liked him. was like, you know, this guy is, you know, he always kind of, he does something helpful when he's on the floor. So I think, it's most likely, you know, those minutes are going to go to Williams and Thompson when they're both healthy and available. And if there's foul trouble or you're in a position where we need a little bit more offense out of that spot today, then you can throw Wagner in and see, see what it looks like. Challenge is, even if he looks really good, you're fairly limited in what you can pay him next year because uh, the Wizards declined his um, fourth-year team option, so Boston is capped at what they could pay him. That's very unlikely to, to matter because he's probably not going to explode to that level uh, of play. And in a way, that might even help you because even if you wanted to keep him, you go to his agent and you're basically saying, like, look, this is all we can offer, you know, to take it or leave it. So, yeah, I think he has more of a shot. But, but yeah, that's a position ideally you would up, you, you'd upgrade at least one of those guys via buyout Canada if someone, you know, really wants to come to Boston. Who should we have our eyes on? Obviously, it starts with Andre Drummond. Do you believe with the other teams that are in the mix to talk to him that, uh, one, he will come here, and, two, that the Celtics should want him you know i know there are a lot of celtics fans that think andre drummond sucks and i you know i've i have long said i've said it on this show a number of times you don't trade for andre drummond and what that contract was like you don't even remotely consider that but if you can get him on the buyout market you don't hesitate he is a guy that obviously can score he can rebound he can you know he can play a role i mean he can he can even at points you know to a degree defend he's not useless on defense he's not mm-hmm. a good or great defender but he's not useless you know it's it's sort of like sort of like a more muscular more adept Ennis Cantor in a way you know quite fr- it's like, like a like a, a beefed up Cantor on steroids in terms of his ability you know still a, a dinosaur in today's nba i get that but he is, uh, he's not a guy who uh, I think would be a downgrade from what you currently have. Yeah, I wrote a piece for a Celtics blog last year when it was, you know, Boston's maybe interested in trading for Drummond when he was still on the Pistons, where I was like, absolutely not. So I'm exactly, I think, in the same place you are. So, so correct me if I'm wrong. But like you said, trading for Andre Drummond? Major mistake. Not not a chance, especially since, too, people I don't think fully understood. He didn't fit into the TPE. It would have cost Marcus Smart in a deal. It just would have got very messy for the Celtics. So absolutely not. You stay away. If you can get Andre Drummond on a prorated minimum contract for the rest of this year, considering you just traded Daniel Tice, you do that every single day of the week and you live with whatever he gives you. And even if it's 20 minutes a game is all you get out of them, that's fine. You get 20 minutes of really good rebounding and maybe not much else, but at least you got that. Um, and, and I like your comp for Cantor because that's kind of what he is at, at this point. He's kind of an Ennis Cantor type of guy where it's, you know, he's, uh, you know, he can really hit the boards, can do a little bit to finish around the rim. Um, he's not, he's not a great roller, um, which is always a concern. He, he's a better passer though. Um, I think that he really gets credit for is usually right around four assists per game for a big man. He's not going to step out and shoot jumpers the way Tice, you know, could, but, but yeah, if you can get him on a minimum, a hundred percent you go do it i think it's probably more likely he's headed to one of the la teams or brooklyn Mm -hmm. um but 
that that just seems to be the way that what makes more sense. I think Brian Windhorst said today that he uh, will be interested if they can't close the deal with LaMarcus Aldridge, um, which he makes sense there. Miami's only really kind of got one big left. Um, and then the other big pe- people, you know, the Aldridge is the other one people have mentioned. I don't think Boston's in on him any longer. Uh, I think he's, you know, probably going to Miami. Um, and then the other one people keep throwing at me is what about Kelly Olenek? And we have no sense if Houston's actually going to buy him out or not. Mm-hmm. If he does, yeah, I mean, I guess, right? Brad Stevens got a lot of mileage out of Kelly Olynyk back in the day and actually built good defenses on teams where Kelly Olynyk played played big minutes. He was mm-hmm. part of a Miami team that can really defend. He's not useless defensively. We we know what he can do offensively. He can hit jumpers. He can you know, do some stuff as a passer. Um, so, yeah, if you floor, could go get Kelly Olynyk, 100%. What's that? He can stretch the floor, which obviously yeah. Drummond can't yep. do. Yeah, basically won a playoff game, right, for the Celtics uh, yeah, that, at, that one year against Washington again. So, yeah, yeah I mean, that, yeah, I would that would be my probably my top choice if, you know, if he shakes free. But there's no sense of, you know, it's really hard to know what the Rockets are doing uh, right now. And they, they may just keep him and, you know, play it out because they, they don't want to be – you don't want to go into games being completely non-competitive here for Houston. That, that, that becomes a waste of time for even the young players on your team. So you got to at least, you know, put forth some effort. So they may just keep him. And then also old friend Avery Bradley, who people have been like, could maybe we, you know, bring them all back. And I was like, well, then, yeah, then you got to resign Gerald Green and, you know, go get Isaiah Thomas and, you know, get, get the bank gang back together. And let's let's well, let's do this thing. To that end, not to cut you off, but I mean, I've been asked and I've, I've kind of scoffed at it just because I don't I don't think it's a realistic possibility. Some have asked me, well, what about Horford? Is he going to get I, he, there's no way he gets bought out, right? No, he's not going to get bought out. They, they talked some Horford trades. Um, they basically left it as next uh, summer, this, this coming summer, when he becomes what I call a pseudo expiring because then his, his, his deal is about $27 million next year. And then the year after that, it's only guaranteed for $14.5 million. Uh, Oklahoma City com- feels very confident that they can make a trade. Mm-hmm. Um, using Al Horford's uh, salary that goes and gets them some form of minor asset that they can, you know, add to their, you know, 1,000 draft picks or whatever the number is now uh, that Sam Presti has. So, yeah, Horford's not not going to get bought out. It's, I know now it's, if something happens once in the NBA, everybody assumes that's going to be how it goes for everybody. And because Blake Griffin with two full years left was bought out, now people assume any buyout is possible. And that's just, just not really, you know, a, a thing that's, that's probably not going to happen. I'll ask you something, Keith, that I don't think you're probably ever asked in your seat. Uh, do uh, we miss anything? Is there anything from yesterday that we haven't dissected before I let you go? I don't think so. I mean, it's, you know, the, the, I, I, I will wonder if there's going to be residual fallout down the line from, um, uh, you know, moving on from Jeff Teague uh, just because veteran guy took a minimum spot and was finally starting to come around and play pretty well. I think he had mm-hmm. some of his better games as a Celtic over the last month or so. Um, you know, that, that'll be something that it'll get brought up, you know, the next time they're in that position for somebody. But if, if that's where you're in a position, that guy's, you're, you're not going to lose any sleep over not getting that player anyway. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, other than that, you know, it's a, uh, I'm not waking up, you know, uh, booking plans for the finals uh, today by any means, but, but I, I'm also, you know, I've never been as down on the team as maybe I probably should be. Um, you know, I'm kind of like the Celtics. I'm kind of meh about them and yeah. you know, they're, they're just kind of in the middle and you know, we'll see what the rest of the year brings. I guess there is one other thing as, as I think about it before I do let you go and, and you can spend a 30 seconds or a minute on it. Two part question. I'll just lump them together. Is Marcus Smart a Celtic for life and does in fact everyone hate Tristan Thompson? <laughs> uh, the Tristan Thompson thing I'll answer first. I don't think so. I think that got way overblown. Um, I, I talked to a couple players on the team. I talked to a couple other people with the team and they were really kind of caught off guard by and it wasn't you can tell when they're really actually caught off guard but or it's a or like no everything's fine right um i go back to that 2019 team when people told us everything was fine and it's like we can hear them screaming at each other like (laughs) not everything is not fine um i've never gotten that compared to and talking to somebody keith was you know because everyone's like well jalen brown kemba walker going on twitter and and obviously defending tristan thompson and people said, well, it's, it's just something teammates do. And what I said was, do you remember anyone doing that when everybody said everyone hated Kyrie Irving? <laughs> no, yeah. Nobody nobody hopped on Twitter back then and said, no, he's good. He's, we love Kyrie. Like, no, it's 
You know, I, I think, I think that actually was, you know, Brad's going to do that. Danny's going to do that. That's part of their job. But for Jalen to do what he did for Kemba to break his, you know, months long Twitter silence and do what he did. I think that was actually indicative of something. Yeah. Kemba, the one that really surprised me because Kemba doesn't say anything on Twitter. He's, you know, uh, maybe the least active NBA player on social media that actually has an account. Um, so yeah, I, that, that, that to me, I think is a, is nothing there. And then now, now I forgot what your other question. Oh, Marcus, Marcus Smart, Smart, Celtic yeah. for life. Um, I'm going to say no, just cause no, no one's ever anything for life <laughs> right in the NBA that it's sure. so rare that that happens. Um, so I'll say no, but I think it's going to be uh Celtic for, for a good while longer. Uh, I'll put it that way. I think his next contract, he signs with the Celtics. I don't, I don't think it's a, he's traded or um, signs with anybody else. Um, maybe on that contract, he, he gets moved at some point. And that might be almost one of these things where it, let's say the team isn't as good as they hope to be. You could envision that turning into um, something where Danny Ainge or whoever's running the team at the time says, we want to do a solid by Marcus. We want him to get a championship. We're going to send him, you know, team X and, and go out. Let's all just pray. It's not the Lakers. Cause you know, that would, you know, I think make people throw up in their mouths. I don't think there is a more polarizing athlete in all of Boston sports today than Marcus Smart. So you have made some people's day by saying that, and you have, really irritated others there's no question about it this show again powered by betonline.ag go to betonline.ag today and use the promo code clns50 for a 50 percent bonus when you sign up keith always a pleasure great getting your insights on both sides of this deal obviously the fournier one in particular and uh so much more i i don't know how uh most celtics fans feel uh, i know my mentions have been really interesting on twitter but it clearly the two of us are pretty in lockstep with what went on yesterday and what the picture is going forward yeah but which means we're the ones who are wrong right yeah. so that's that, that's all that means, but yeah that's it but thank you for having me i appreciate it man y'all stay safe you and yours all right same to you guys and uh all of you out there listening we'll get back at it with self-speed again next week trade deadlines behind us on to the 11 million dollar tpe question that remains this offseason we'll see you in a bit